Welcome, ladies, gents, and non-binary. I am the host of this little show, Aaron Lowe. And if you're new here, allow me to give you a quick rundown. Each week, I find my head has been removed from my body and then placed onto the body of another friend and movie lover. Together, we are given a theme. We each pick a movie inspired by that theme and then watch and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. This week, it looks like I've been joined to another repeat guest. Zeke Perez is back. Zeke, how's it going? It's going good. How are you doing, Aaron? Well, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Heading into the holidays. Oh, maybe I shouldn't date this so much. I don't actually know when this episode <laughs> is going to be coming out. It will most likely be during December. So it, technically the holidays. But yeah, Technically, the this. holidays run between now and February. So we'll, yeah, it's, it works. Holidays. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it'll it'll come out in that period. And we're facing it fairly well here in this continued lockdown, this new normal everybody is in. We're doing all right. Yeah, we're doing all right. You know, just um, hanging in there, moving forward, keeping gatherings at a minimum. We're not having any gatherings. We haven't had anybody over since, well, well before quarantine. We're, we were never really popular anyway. Not social butterflies. <laughs> And we're yeah, just, it's over on our end too. Like we, it's been I don't know the last time we actually had people in the house. It's been a very long time. We're not doing Thanksgiving this year. We're still going to have some food just because our our daughter wants it, but we're not like celebrating. We're not observing anything. And it's been years since we've gone to visit family anyway, so it's not going to be like a huge change. The only thing that we're going to be doing to celebrate is we will be watching the mst3k turkey day marathon all day yes that is the only way to celebrate thanksgiving in my opinion okay so uh we've got this little note here and our theme this week is monstrous musicals so let's take just a minute to think about this and pick some movies that we each think fits the theme monstrous musicals and we'll be right back Okay, first up, we're going to go with my pick, and my pick is, and kind of stretching a little bit, uh, but there there is a monster in this musical, although it's very brief <laughs> and not connected to the movie itself, and there are some monstrous acts in the film, but this is not, say, I, I, well, I should just get right into it. This is Happiness of the Katakuris. なんでこんな死んだ奴らの後始末ばっかりしなきゃいけないんだ。後には死ないだ。やるしかない。お父さん、やる方向か。さあ、リチャード・サガオです。お日様のニコニコ見つめてる。さあ、ここは来てみなき
Now, Happiness of the Katakuris is a 2001 dark comedy musical directed by prolific Japanese filmmaker Takashi Miike. In the film, the Katakuri family is working to operate a bed and breakfast in a small rural village after the dad loses his job, but here's a tip that a major road will be built through the town, making it a busy stopping point for travelers. As the film opens, the road shows no signs of being completed and business is not doing well. Things start to look up as one rainy night brings their first guest, but when the guest commits suicide in his room, the family decide to cover up his death, lest the struggling bed and breakfast get a reputation as a haunted hotel. This sets up a pattern, each subsequent guest ends up dying, and the family has to continue hiding the bodies. As I said, this is a musical full of ridiculously silly humor, sick jokes, zombies, and claymation. So, clearly, a Mike film. Now, Zeke, I've seen this movie a few times. It, it, we're fairly big Mike fans here in our house, and this is one that we'd regularly pull out for movie nights because it, it's a crazy movie, but it, it doesn't have a lot of the unpleasantness that Mike is sometimes known for. It is not like uh, the extreme violence or weirdness that he gained a reputation for around this time. Uh, so it makes it a good kind of like group watch. But I'm curious, had you seen this before? No. <laughs> so hearing you describe it, you described it to me as this, you know, first off, it's a Takeshi Miike film, right? Now, I know his work. I know his work through things like Audition and 13 Assassins. All of them are very almost like hyper in every sense of the word. Hyper gory, hyper, hyper scary, just very... Um, very heightened a lot of things it's almost over the top and you know i i went in this film and you said yeah this is going to be a fun family monster musical <laughs> and it was absolutely crazy crazy yeah yeah I, I i i came in expecting something and i got something completely different i got I got a karaoke scene in the middle of this family drama about uh, suicide with claymation thrown in. Yeah, well, there's so claymation. The movie starts with this weird, this weird aside. Such a weird claymation beginning. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have any any bearing on anything. A woman goes into a cafe, orders some soup. There's something stuck in her soup. She pulls it out. It's this weird, little, angelic-looking like a, a mix between an alien and an angel because it has wings claymation and then she becomes claymation and the thing comes to life it tears out her uvula and flies away and then is is killed by a raven but its eye falls into a teddy bear and the teddy bear comes to life and eats the raven and it's this weird like circle of life thing because then the angel thing is born out of an egg and a raven flies and the transition there at that moment in the, this is like the beginning of the movie. This is the first five minutes of the movie. Uh, just how it starts is the bird poops and then the bird poops on what turns out to be the great grandfather of the family that we're going to follow. And that's how, how the movie starts. And right off the bat, I mean, clearly like if you, if you're familiar with Mika, you're kind of expecting some of this craziness, but right off the bat, you don't know where this movie is going, what, where it's coming from. Right off the top, it's so over the top, you know? Like, you expect some form of, with the Mickey film, I expect some sort of, like, gore and violence. And you get a bit of that with the weird, weird angel creature thing, right? But it's, yeah, and then all of a sudden goes into this, like, family drama. 
you, you keep calling it a drama, but there's so many touches. Everything is, is heightened. Like it is a melodrama. There, there, there is heart to it. This family loves each other, like clearly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. But there's also like every, everybody in it is kind of drawn in a, well, the, the, the broadest character in the movie in the family is the daughter. So <laughs> uh, we're, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. The movie yeah. is narrated in the beginning and the ending, narrated by the young child who is, uh, it is her grandparents that have opened the bed and breakfast and her mom and uncle are, have moved back home to help with it. Well, not just the mom and uncle. There is the, um, so it's the mom and dad. Oh, wait. Okay. So it's the, it's the little girl, Yep. her mom, her uncle, her grandpa, her grandma, and her great grandpa. So there's a total of how many generations? Four generations, right? That yeah, had yeah. gone into making this. It's been like a dream of the fathers because he heard about a road opening up near this place at the base of Mount Fuji, right? Yeah, it was a dream of the father to open up this um, inn for everyone in the family to be under one house, one under under one roof, and take care of this place and live together. Yeah, and they're at they're in this mountain town, or like I can't even call it a town because we never see anybody else that lives in the town other than the one police officer who shows up. And well, the police officers, and we'll get into it later. But the um, the guy at the end that all seems to be in a different town because where they're living, it appears to just be a couple of rundown, like a, a couple of other rundown buildings, like apartments and a couple houses. We never see anybody living in them. But we see some of the characters kind of walk through it. it it's very rural. It is a mountain yeah, very rural. wooded area. But yeah, so the movie it is narrated in the beginning and ending by the little girl, who I think is maybe five or six. Yeah, but, probably um, about five or six. And her mom is the broadest of the characters in the family. There, there are crazier characters that will show up in, in a little bit. But the mom is recently divorced, but she falls in love immediately like there's a moment where she's saying like my mom falls in love it falls in and out of love too quickly and it's a flashback scene of the mom pregnant carrying luggage as she's walking to move somewhere to live with her parents and a man passes her on the street and she stops and like stares at him follows him a little bit and then <laughs> and then stops stops herself and keeps walking so she's painted like this really i mean she's very flighty she's not very attentive I mean, this girl is left alone all the time. And it, it never seems like there's no danger there. It's not seemed like it doesn't seem like she is being neglected. In fact, she says in the opening that she's like, with a family like this, I know I'm going to grow up to be cool. Yeah, it's she thinks the world of her family because yeah. her family helps raises her. The dad was laid off or not the dad. The grandfather was laid off and he had heard that there was going to be a big road constructed through this town. It would be a great stopping point for travelers. So he's like, oh, we're going to buy this place really cheap and build it up. That road doesn't appear to be actually being built. And it doesn't appear that there is anybody around. He thinks that there's going to be a road built up. There's all these promises throughout the whole entire movie that this building of a road is progressing. And he convinces the, his, his wife, which is the grandmother, his uh, two kids, which is the uh, uncle and the mother, as well as the great grandfather who is just selfish and I think don't they mention that he's selfish and doesn't do anything? 
<laughs> he's not exactly like will uh, like charlie bucket's grandfather sleeping in that bed all day instead <laughs> no, of helping out he does help out when it is needed later on he does help out and he is a like a basically a loving and supportive <laughs> figure but he doesn't he doesn't seem to get that involved with uh with the daily upkeep of the inn the mom and the uncle it doesn't actually seem like they've been roped into it it seems like they were at points where there was nothing else open for them there there's talk about how the uncle had been in jail like he had kind of a a wild upbringing or not upbringing but he was just a wild kid uh sounds like it was mainly for theft they they call it he used to collect wallets is how they say it so they're, they're he's out of jail he's come back home and they're greeting him with open arms but also help making him help out at this bed and breakfast and then of course there's the daughter who has been divorced and has had it seems like bad luck in relationships and just has nowhere else she can go it like i, I say this movie this movie is a dark comedy there are some <laughs> pretty pretty i don't want to say gnarly it's never really graphic but there's just some dark stuff that happens in this movie very dark yes but, but the core of the family is so supportive even when they're arguing the, the brother the uncle and the mom argue all the time it's such a sweet and loving family like they support and love each other so much that when these horrible things happen and that's where the gruesomeness happens in this film not because of the family but because of everything that comes into it that there's so much love there that it it kind of um elevates it in a sense yeah because there's a there's also the song where they it's a flashback to the dad is singing about when he saw the place and was like, we'll buy this place. We'll fix it up. And it's a real dump before they fix it up. It looks really nice once it's, it's a really cool house. Yeah. Once they fix it up, it's actually like a really nice place. Other than the toxic waste around the house that seems to show up more and more as the movie goes on. It's a really nice house. Yeah. Cause they're like really near that dump. They go in, there's that romantic song in the, where they're on the Coca-Cola bench. Yeah. And yeah. and there's that lake that is just full of trash and like there are the skeletons of, of um, woodland creatures and dead fish everywhere and it it's never really focused on too much it's just background but this movie even that as dark as it is is funny it is kind of a joke the juxtaposition of the background with this very heightened melodramatic musical happening in in the middle of it there's a lot of really good humor in here. It's not a joke a minute movie, but there's always something funny going on in the frame. Very, very true. Very true. There's that flashback song. So about the sweetness, there's that flashback song where he's he's talking about building, rebuilding the place. And he has to kind of convince his son through song. And his son is, his son is young in his 20s, maybe. And he just kind of is sulking and seems like he's too cool to get involved. And they have to like, all get together and sing the song like let's get going let's do it kind of thing and he's strutting around trying to ignore them and finally gets into it and finally he starts like mumbling the words yeah. of the song and then he joins in the chorus and then the end it's it's like a it's it's a full-on musical i love it it's so i i what i have to take the time like right now to say my favorite person in this whole entire movie is the little girl and her choreography it is so good she's She's so good it's so bad so adorable in this movie like this the scene that i was just describing is the moment where 
you realize for all of the kitschiness of the movie, for all of the camp and the irony and the the darkness and the juxtaposition of just uh, like of a, a musical in this very rundown world, yeah, that there is a sweetness to this movie that is absolutely earnest. Like that that musical scene is like it's so brilliant and it, so it's so uplifting. It does. It is it really uplifting. Great. And you've got yeah. that little girl there who's just running along, like going in with the dancing. She's not just running along. She's like maybe one or two beats off, but she's trying so hard. It, and then adorable. she gets the beat. It's so, oh, it's 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 my favorite part of the movie. That and the rustic chair. I remember the rustic chair, but what about it? So so in in the house, they have this inn, right, where they have all these people come and visit. And in the kitchen part, on all the chairs that are in the kitchen where they sit down and have their meals, all the chairs have the word rustic written on them. Did you, did you catch that? Yes, I did. I thought, I thought that was just like a little bit of like, like brand logo. I didn't actually. I, I, I thought so too at the same time, but it was just so it's like, here we are. We're in a rustic inn in rustic Japan. So we will have these rustic chairs. It's a little bit of brand logo, but it was just, so kitschy you know it's so over the top that it was that i loved it it was it was hilarious the the one of the, my favorite little asides is they have a tv and they watch it every once in a while and there's always this one program with this woman and it looks almost like it's a karaoke video but it's a woman it's actually a man like a like a man with stubble not not <laughs> like trying to be convincing but wearing makeup and a dress and everything and they call her an actress and she's singing constantly the only thing that is subtitles them bones them bones repeated them bones but it, is she singing like a yacht rock 80s ballad like a like think a slower tempo olivia newton john song it was it yeah i don't know it was such a bizarre note that comes back a couple of times it does it comes back at least three times in the movie and then there's that you know you start cast. to forget about the um Dem Bones person and then she shows up again and one more time after that yeah and then there's that newscast they're watching in the beginning where the newscaster I can't even remember what he's talking about but it starts to get sillier and sillier oh it's it, where he snorts the um the fly up his nose yeah there's a beetle that crawls up his nose and they're all watching it and they're like oh 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 it went in his nose and then they, they keep watching it and they're like it it's not coming out it's crawling around in there and what he's saying and what he's like his facial expressions are just getting silly, like stranger. I, I meant to go back and re watch it to see what he was talking about because the glimpses we get of his dog, it's, it sounds like he's almost talking about the plot to animal farm. Where he's not even, not even really that, but he's just talking about how the pigs are walking around. In well, now. He, well, what he's talking about, cause I actually caught this. I like, I was so focused into the scene and then all of a sudden the bug went up his nose. I'd like, Wait, wait, something is being said here. Something is important, but there's a bug up his nose. I don't know what's happening. So the, the whole the whole thing that he's talking about is that there's a success this there's a successful um guest house, similar to what they're trying to do. You know, it's like this family has given up what they want to do, they've started this in, but what has really pushed them over the edge is that they have the animals to help them run the house and they're talking about how the pigs carry the luggage because they don't want to become sausage no oh, yes that yeah that's yeah, what yeah. It was. yeah it's so crazy 
but it's hilarious because you're trying to, you know, I'm watching this movie. I'm trying to think of some subtext to this. And then all of a sudden there's this beetle that crawls up his nose and it's like, Oh, there's a beetle up his nose. And the whole movie just derails at that point to talk about how there's a beetle up this guy's nose. And that's, and that, that's how the movie works. I think looking for subtext in a lot of Mike's movies from this time period can be a little bit of a fool's errand. Not to say that his movies were meaningless or that he didn't have intention between, behind what he was doing. But you, you think of like his, his movies like uh, Rainy Dog or uh, Ichi the Killer was around this point. Yeah, yeah, it was. So he's got his, you know, crime movies that he's doing uh like shinjuku triad society i think he was doing dead or alive was a couple minutes a couple years before this the whole dead audition was a couple years before it too like 99 right Uh, yeah and i think audition is kind of the one that you could say has the most subtext to it that one seems like it is it, it has a real intention and a point it's trying to make yes even though he doesn't quite muddle it but the point is obtuse enough or layered enough that it, it, it can be argued that, you know, multiple different meetings for that film. But I would say a lot of his movies around this time, he just kind of follows his id. Like he, he really does just throw in something whenever he feels like it, he throws in like a really random, a really la- random moment that doesn't actually mean anything. It, it's just a, an interesting thing on film. Yeah. It's this weird non sequitur, which was so random, it makes sense. To talk about just kind of how the movies can can kind of lack a subtext. You know, this is one of eight films that uh, Mike did in 2001. Actually, it looks like one Wait, of those Wait, he made eight films in 2001? One of those was a short, yes. He released Holy seven... Holy shit! He released Sorry. seven feature films in 2001. Wow! He released Family, Visitor Q, Koroshia 1, Agitator, Happiness of the Katakuris. There was a short, let's see, Kuki, oh gosh, Kikuchijo Monogatari, Sakamori Tachi no Uta. My pronunciation is going to be terrible on that. I have friends who are more fluent in Japanese that are going to listen to this and probably mock me later. And then Family Part 2. Wow, that is just, uh, you know, I know he's prolific, but I always forget just how prolific he is as a director, producer, actor, everything. And he did eight more in 2002. Like 2001 to 2002 are the most prolific he's ever been. He usually averages about four to five movies a year. He slowed down considerably. That's still insane, four to five movies a year. He, he's actually slowed down quite a bit, but he's still doing at least two movies a year. Uh, three movies in 2017. Oh, no, one movie only in 2018, but then three in 2019. When did you do the Zatoichi movie? Was 2017, right? No, that was like early... Wait, no, Zatoichi was... Um, Zatoichi was beat Takeshi. Oh, for some reason, I thought he did the Zatoichi movie, too. He did... Um, no, his his samurai movies, he did... 13, 13 Assassins, Assassins. And then he did Blade of the Immortal which was based on a long-running comic manga, and Harakiri. Those were like the, his samurai movies. That, yeah, now, uh, for some reason, I always thought he had a hand in uh, Zanuichi. No. 
Oh, wait. He did Takashi Miike. Well, it's an X. I don't know if the X means versus or and, but Takashi Miike and Sho Aikawa Zadoichi in 2008. Um, that's the one I was thinking of. And that's that was a theater. That wasn't a movie. That was a that was a play that he did live theater. And it looks like there was a a video released of the, one of the performances. Oh, nice! I knew I knew he had some. He did some Zadoichi thing. Oh gosh! Now I'm I'm just looking through his filmography. Takashi Miike is a movie I've seen 26 of his films, and that's still only a quarter of how many. That's he's made. yeah, like 26 is not that many films that he's done. He's done so many films. There's a, like a, there's a lot of great stuff in there. There's a lot of kind of garbage too. Like he's he is consistently inconsistent, and that sounds like a a slight like inconsistent is a bad thing, but I, I don't mean that he is like inconsistent as in. Like he doesn't he doesn't put out anything good. I just mean that his movies vary in tone so wildly, even within the same movie, minute to minute, it it changes on a dime that you cannot ever pigeonhole like what this movie is. Like Here's the thing a- about his movies is that I love his movies because I don't know what I'm going to get. Like I love like Audition, I love Thirteen Assassins. Both of those are two of my favorite films. Then I get something which is a musical melodrama set in, set in the foothills of a volcano using stop motion animation. It, it's just it's all over the place to the point that it makes it exciting. You don't know what you're going to get. I guess we, we should get back to happiness of the Katakuris. That's what we're here to discuss. <laughs> yeah, of course. But yes. That that claymation is great because it, it is the opening of the movie, but it comes back a couple of times in the rest of the movie, most notably maybe at the finale, but it's so clever how they do it because it's clearly like anytime they want to get to an effects moment or not an effects moment, but a moment where there's a stunt, there's a scene where the, the great grandfather follows the granddaughter. So the, the granddaughter, girl's yes. Mom. And Richard. she's out like on it walking with this very suspicious guy who is saying he's in love with her and he follows them and they get into a fight and then they, the fight leads them to fall off a cliff. They can't do that with real actors, so they just go to claymation. And uh, occasionally they'll like superimpose or just have a cutout of the actor's face on the claymation just to, in order to make an expression or shout a word. And it's so silly. You think about it in one way as like, what the hell are they thinking? But then also it's really clever. Like we don't have the effects for this. So we're just going to do this little handmade thing that is going to get a the point across but also instead of people looking at how cheap it is they're just going to go well that's really crazy yeah that's what i thought as well too like i i was watching that scene and and not only does it add to the there's a hilarity and an over to the top to the situation you know there's this the granddaughter she loves this guy whose name is richard who is the nephew he's supposedly the... of queen elizabeth <laughs> he's so crazy He's my favorite character in the movie. He's always hilarious. He's my second favorite character. Other than the little the little girl, she's my favorite because her dancing, top notch. But oh, he is my is the little girl is lovable. She's the care like she's the one you feel for in the movie and you want things to be happy around her. But Richard is just so goddamn entertaining. He's so is, nuts. He's everything about him, all of his line deliveries. All of his body it's so, postures. It's so bad. 
but the best, it, I mean, it's not bad. It's just, it's so over the top. Like, you know, who's on the phone? The Richard, <laughs> Richard. So like he, I'm flying my plane over Iraq and I'm about to get shot down, but I love you. And it's, he's not really in a plane over Iraq. He's, he's talking to somebody over a phone while something's playing on a, a tape player, like a boom box. Yeah. It's basically that scene in Nightmare on Elm Street where they Johnny Depp has the sound effect recording so that when Heather Langenkamp calls her mom to say that she's staying at her cousin's house by the airport, he's playing like airplane noises. Yep. <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So he, he's this Japanese man, clearly Japanese, very Japanese. clearly in his fifties. And he's got this really like long hair and a soul like a patch. horrible, like a soul patch goatee. Oh, the horrible soul patch. And he's, horrible soul patch. He's wearing like a a U.S. Navy uniform when he first meets the mom, and he tells her that he's uh, with the U.S. Navy, and then he's like, "Oh, but actually, I'm really with the British Royal Navy." And not just with the British Royal Navy, I'm part of the royal family because yeah, my and aunt he, is Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, and he keeps like every time he sees her, he's like, "Oh, but don't tell anybody I told you this." But my mom is queen elizabeth's sister but half sister so it's not officially reported well, the and, time i was hanging out with diana you know yeah, that time yeah. there and i was talking to like so this is like 2001 this is four years after diana's death and he's saying that he basically is talking to her and he's like i was in afghanistan when diana died oh diana if only i had been there and i, hate like, you, I can never forget I the paparazzi <laughs> or forgive it's such a ridiculous character his his first song is hilarious because he's brought up on wires and he's flying around and there's a big explosion <laughs> of confetti that knocks him unconscious. So the wires are just swinging him around the, the, the movie, but he's like, he's unconscious, hanging there limp. It looks like he's died. I'm so sorry. That, that dance scene is so brilliant. I am laughing to the point right now where I'm coughing because I'm remembering how hilarious that dance scene was. That it was a it's 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 an incredible dancing, an incredible song. It's so good. Yeah, so, so that's good. Richard Richard Sagawa. And I I looked him up. Wait, his his real name is Richard? No, Richard Sagawa is the character. Okay, he's, I thought that was his like actor name. Like his name was Richard. No, he's he's portrayed by Kyoshiro Imawano, uh, who is primarily a musician. He's been in a couple of other projects. He led the band RC Succession. Okay, yeah. Which I'd actually never heard of, but apparently they're like a, a really big influential deal. The IMDb bio called him the, uh, or called him Japan's king of rock. Wow. So I've never heard of RC Succession, but I might look it up in yeah, Apple I might, Music after this. He, he has that vibe of, an, of kind of a, a middle-aged musician. Very much so, very but, much so. But also for a non-actor, I mean, he's, he's acting bad but he's acting bad in a very particular way. Like not, not like he's a bad actor. It's just, he's, his character is supposed to be a bad actor because he's pretending everything that he says. Yes. And, yes. I mean, that, that kind of performance can be tricky and he nails it. He's his, his bravado, his cluelessness at all times. I mean, it's always entertaining. I, I think the moment when he, so he comes to visit the bed and breakfast about midway through the movie, but it's in a mountain and he has to walk and he's so completely out of shape. And he's getting torn apart in the woods. Uh, 
and he stops and he drinks from the lake which is full of toxic the, the toxic lake yes and he, he shows up at the bed and breakfast and he's covered in mud and he's almost collapsing and he's he's fighting diarrhea <laughs> but <laughs> he comes in and he can't even breathe and he's uh the mom is like what do you want to eat what are you doing here do you, do you want me to get you some food do you want something to drink and he like he straightens up for a minute he forces himself to walk up to the landing and he like lifts his legs so he's making a dramatic pose and then he just like points a finger and he's like i want to eat you and he can barely say the words but she like she turns so and like swoons it's the most romantic thing and he's just sitting there like trying to hold in like diarrhea and then he runs up the stairs yeah this we should go so back scary. a bit what about the first death in this movie oh yeah we should talk about that so the, yeah we <laughs> Like the whole plot of the movie. The whole plot of the movie. The is whole plot the of the movie is places. the. So they finally get a guest, and they're they're doing everything they're trying. They're going out of their way to make him happy, but he just wants to be left alone. He ends up killing himself in a very gruesome manner. He shoves like he he carves this hard plastic keychain, and shoves it into his neck, and it's it's pretty thick, right? Like it, like it's it's like you go to the um, gas station. Yeah. And the gas station gives you like a the kind of like the um part of the squeegee handle in a sense, right? Yeah. I mean it's not exactly. as big, but it's similar to that. Like, you know, maybe like um maybe four or six inches of hard plastic attached to this key. That's what he uses, which is bright blue, to like just sharpen to a point and just jab in his jugular. Yeah, and there's a, a really great musical moment when the family comes in the next day because the not just a great musical moment the first musical moment so you told me when this is my first time watching this so you told me that this was a musical and this is a good maybe 20 minutes in the film right is this the first like, musical i thought there had been one more earlier maybe not no i i don't remember there being another musical number before but this was like the first like set piece musical where there's lights and there's themes and they're talking about what's going on with music very dramatic it's such a great mtv moment a lot of it isn't even dialogue they're just like walking from one area to another in the room and posing and saying oh my god or something like that and the music is getting more propulsive the walls of the room fall away to show that it's a set (laughs) and it's just full of smoke and spotlights on them do you remember the Bonnie Tyler um, Total Clips of the Heart movie uh, music video? Oh, of course. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, like I how there's like these lights and the smoke and drama, and then there's a wind machine off camera, and that it reminds me of Bonnie Tyler's Total Clips of the Heart music video. That it was so good. So the next scene or the next death is is the sumo wrestler, correct? Yeah, sumo wrestler and the. Uh, ingenue so to speak. yeah which which is kind of like this is kind of icky but it, it's a very specific type of japanese humor that you kind of you almost have to kind of forgive in this type of movie where i think she she is coded to be a high school girl very and, much very much he, is, he has taken her to this out of way bed and breakfast that they can like they can sleep together in private and he just immediately throws her on the bed and before like the mom is showing him the room before she's in, even left, he's like thrown her on the bed and is going at it. And like later that night, the son puts a ladder out the window so he can watch them like having sex. 
and the sumo wrestler has, has a heart attack and dies. And the next day they come in and find him as they're rolling his body over. They find that the girl has been stuck under the body and died as well because she's suffocated. <laughs> Which <laughs> they, 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 At first they think that it's just a sumo wrestler. They can't find the girl. Like, where'd she go? She left during the night. What happened to her? I don't know. And so for a good like five minutes, they're talking about they don't even realize that she's trapped underneath him. Like yeah. talking about it, it sounds so dark when I'm talking about it. But in this movie, I mean, this movie just has kind of a kind of a dark lightness to it. It's not whimsical, but it, it it's clearly just all a silly joke, even though this this scene is it, it's like the ickiest scene in the movie. It's it's really uncomfortable we'll just say because she looks like she's like 10 uh i i thought she was supposed maybe to be a, a, in her teens but maybe she is meant to look she's clearly she's, she's meant to look very young she's very clearly yeah uncomfortably young yeah she's clearly meant to look very young uh she's coded that way but i i thought she was supposed to be older than that but it either way it's it is gross <laughs> yeah very gross so here we've got the pattern right where the people come and they die so the next people that come, it's raining again, and this family shows up. Oh, the family! The, yes. the really the poor family. Clearly, they they're walking and they just need somewhere because they ask for like one room. They she's like, "Do you want the two cheapest rooms?" Room. He's like, "No, just room. one room. Give us your cheapest room." And the family looks very depressed. And the 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 little boy who's like eight coughs, and the family like everybody in the family like stops and looks at him like, "Oh no, like are are, are you going to die in here now?" But the the because the family just cannot like the dad cannot let it get out that their first guest died or committed suicide. Like he doesn't want people to think it's a cursed hotel. And so he keeps hiding it. But around this time, he gets a call that they're actually going to go ahead with building the road, but they're building it right through where they buried the bodies. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think by the time like by the time it gets around to this. Richard has died because they had that fight where he fell off of a cliff. He, he fell and, off and, and fell into the chasm. But yeah, but the, then he shows up later and he's trying to call the police and he's trying to say who who killed him, but he can't even remember the mom's name. He gives the police the wrong name. He gives like 10 different names. Yeah. <laughs> so he dies. They have to bury him. There's a fun musical moment where all the dead bodies come back and, and there's like there's a zombie song as well. Yeah. I mean, I, we don't have to go through the entire movie, but yeah, it. This movie is nuts. It is nuts, and then it ends on this really very bittersweet moment, where very bittersweet, where the um, the volcano that we've seen the smoke coming out of every once in a while explodes. And I well, 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 hold on, it doesn't explode. Like the police come to the house, right? Yes, and they're trying to like. The family thinks they're going there to arrest the family because they found these dead bodies. But they don't... The police, they go to the house thinking that they're going to arrest them because of these dead bodies they found. But it turns out that there's someone inside the inn that has killed somebody in town and the police are going to arrest them, but the family is about to give themselves up. That's actually my two favorite songs in the movie is them talking about how I'm going to sacrifice myself you guys shouldn't, you know, it's a great grandfather. It's like, look, I live my life. You guys don't do this. And then it's a grandfather and the son saying, let us, let us take this. 
those are my two favorite songs of the movie. They're very emotional. It's like, hey, you know, I love you, Grandpa. Don't do this. I will do this for you. And then um, the son gets stabbed slash cut. So he gets, you think he's has a mortal wound and he's singing the song about how he loves his family and how he talks about how his sister is really hot, how she's a babe. And um, it turns out that he's not actually not dying from the cut. It's just a very um, superficial graze from a, a knife wound. I mean, it's a crazy like farce ending where all these different things, there's a lot of misunderstandings. A lot. But like once you get past that, once there's like the big crazy ending and the family is kind of away and safe and they're all standing in a field and the little girl's narration comes in and it's like showing the family and how happy they are. It gets to the, the great grandfather and she's like, and within a year, great grandfather would die. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a freeze frame, but then through like a couple of shots, like, like not stop motion, but just like a couple of uh, frames, he just, his face falls and he looks really sad. And then the rest of the movie, like it's sad for a moment about how we never know when we're going to die and we're going to be gone. We need to be happy. And it, how, how kind of like amazing it is that people still go on doing things, even though they know they're going to be dying eventually. And, and then the dad like looks up and the, he just shoots off into the sky. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he just flies away. He's supposed to be ascending to heaven, but he like just shoots off like a rocket. And the rest of the family is immediately like thrilled and like cheers him on. And it's like, yeah. And then that's the big happy ending of the movie. This is a crazy movie. Um, there is there. I mean, there is a subtext to this movie that is spelled out there at the end that basically it's the journey of this family to, well, to be happy. It is about the happiness of the Katakuris and the things that they have to do and accept to get there. But there's so much in the movie itself that it is just, full of random asides and ridiculous, ridiculous, silly humor. And claymation. Don't and, forget the claymation. And claymation and zombies. Yep. <laughs> claymation zombies. All right. Up next in our discussion of monstrous musicals is a real monstrous musical. That is a movie with a monster or a pair of monsters or really a trio of monsters right uh in this this is the lure Córki dancingu! Kocham cię. Jak się zakocha, on weźmie ślubskim zimnym. Chodź, muszę ci coś powiedzieć. Musicie się tylko dobrze bawić. Reszta pójdzie sama. Now the 
Tower is a 2015 horror fantasy musical from Poland. The film is a loose updating of the Hans Christian Andersen story, The Little Mermaid, combined with some biographical details drawn from the life of director Agnieszka Smoginska. I hope I pronounced that last name right. <laughs> Growing up in and around a nightclub her mother operated in Poland in the 1980s. Now, we'd each seen this movie before. I liked it. I know this is one that you you have talked up a lot over the years. You've mentioned a few times to me that you really enjoy this movie. So I'm going to let you start us off. Tell us about this movie. What kind of drew you to it? What is it that resonates with you? You know, what I love about this movie is not just the traditional, you know, we've all heard the story of The Little Mermaid. It's basically this movie is that retelling, but it's told in a more um, almost a grim fairy tale sort of way, but also updated for nowadays. It's very gritty. It's very brutal, very, um, very graphic in a sense, you know, it's brutal, it's graphic, it's gritty. And yet the movie is, I mean, it is a musical in all the senses that there is artifice to it. There is kind of a sheen of artificiality. It feels, it, it's, it's this, it has this incredible sheen. That's the best way to put it of this, um, almost like this 1980s gloss over it. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Guy Bourdin who this, uh, you know, Guy Bourdin, the photographer, right? It's, it's a very much, um, the whole movie feels like a fashion magazine. It's filmed with these like bright colors. It feels like it lives in a nightclub. There's these beautiful greens and reds and it feels surreal. And it's a story basically about these two sister mermaids who are listening one day on the beach with these um, drunk musicians playing and they hear them playing the song and they come up from the water and part of them wants to either come up on shore from the music they're playing or draw them into the water for them to eat them with the music they're singing. And eventually what happens is they are drawn out of their world, which is the water, into a Polish nightclub slash strip club slash dinner club where they become these famous singers and how one of them falls in love with this guy who can't love that person because she's a mermaid and how she gives up being a mermaid and eventually dies and becomes seafoam and how the other one becomes a serial killer yeah not not quite a serial killer i think she only kills one person that we see on screen right multiple actually i only remember you see one... the one person the one guy that she takes out but then there's all these implications that she's killed multiple times yeah okay that's correct i remember now i do remember that yeah yeah this movie has first of all i i really like the music in this uh, the music is incredible in this yeah there's the songs that they sing um, there's a lot of variety as well, because we get a, a character later on in the movie, uh, Triton, who is, he's he's meant to be another mermaid, right? Because he had he horns. He is meant to be, well, Triton is technically Poseidon. Triton is, um, in Polish mythology, Poseidon, who's the, uh, the god of the sea. Yeah, but I thought that was a name he gave himself. I, I, I guess it could have been him, but I thought that was just like, I, I thought that was just he gave himself that name as a performer because he he's fronting this 
kind of metal. He's running a punk band, but if you look at him, he has horns, which he's literally sawed off of his head. Think, um, you know, like Hellboy. You know, Hellboy has uh, horns on his head that he's shaved down. If you look at him in the movie, he has these distinct marks where he shaved down the horns well, that Triton usually has. He said one of them got broken off by a fisherman and the other he tore out himself. Yeah, so he's done that to himself. Yeah, so I, I thought, I mean, I knew he was some sort of mythical creature. I just didn't think that he was meant to be actual Triton. I thought that was kind of a, a moniker he gave himself, like maybe his name was something different, but uh, maybe it is supposed to be him. I honestly felt watching this movie that it is him. Okay. He has, yeah, well, that's, that's just me. That's just me. I mean, it could be, because this is, since this is supposed to be a retelling of The Little Mermaid, that he is supposed to be that figure because he does kind of he warns place. them and he tells the girls what happens if they do xyz which of course uh, they do yeah silver does well golden the the two sisters their names are golden and silver silver is the one that falls in love with the uh is he the guitarist in the band he's the bass player of figs and dates yeah, he's the bass player of Figs and Dates, and which is a so, really cool name for a band. Yeah. To be yeah. <laughs> Silver is the one that falls in love with him, and Golden is the one that seems like she she seems a little bit more like I'm just here to see what this is all about, and then we're gonna continue swimming over to America where we can lure some more sailors to their death. But uh, Silver is the one that actually kind of falls into the human world and of course the tragedy happens to her yes the details the period details of the 80s like i said it had that sheen of artifice but it's a weird very kind of chintzy artificiality where like the colors i mean it, this is just our, the the language of cinema that gives me this feeling but it very much calls to mind kind of like cold war era eastern european uh winter like it, it, it's very blue and there's bright colors within the club but they're all all kind of a little bit sickly looking yes um, very much not so. there's not a lot of healthy sunlight in this movie it is very cloudy a lot it is really striking like it, it's weird to see something kind of so fake but also that can also be gritty at the same time maybe it's just me because it reminds me a lot of San Francisco. That's what it reminds me of. That's part of the reason why I love this. It reminds me of like San Francisco, like this like weird fog and grittiness mixed in with this like hyper color. It's just, I, I, I think it's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. It is definitely very visually striking. And the music is incredible too. Yeah, the music is great. I'm going to be honest with you. I've, I've seen this movie twice now and I liked it. You definitely, I believe, like it more than I do. Yes, um, I think so too. <laughs> I There's something about this movie that is holding me at a distance. There's something I cannot quite like grasp onto and actually like lose myself in it. It's surface pleasures are great, but it seems to me... I don't want to say that it's all just the surface pleasures of the movie, but it doesn't seem to go much further than that. It is following the story and it is allowing the director to put in a lot of details from her life as a kid. And I read in an interview that she 
like she grew up, her mom owned and operated a nightclub. She had a lot of her first, like her first drink, her first smoke, her first, as she put it, disappointing sexual experience around this nightclub. There's a lot of very authentic details and very personal details in this movie. She says that it allowed her to work through some of those memories, but I, it doesn't feel like that on screen. It doesn't actually feel like we're getting much below just these are the things that happened. That's the strange part. I really do feel that it does those things for me. We as people imagine mermaids as things like uh, the Little Mermaid. Let's be honest, Disney. We imagine, you know, these beautiful creatures swimming through the sea, but that's not how it is. Like yeah, she mythology. she drew on like the the classic depiction from like the 14th and 15th century of what mermaids were that they would draw men to their dooms. Yeah, and it terrifies me. I I am freaked out even to this day, mind you. I work in a place where I was officially just sanctioned as a mermaid handler as part of my job. And I'm still <laughs> terrified of mermaids. I think they're going to rip my um, intestines out. <laughs> like it's, it's a horrible thing, but there's these like, you know, little girls grow up wanting to be mermaids, like these free, beautiful creatures. And they're presented in this way where they're not, free they're tied to these bounds they're tied to wanting not only to eat flesh but they want to they're tied to this they're tied to this world and it's it's beautiful and sad and it's just presented in such a way that it's so um honest you know well i'm gonna have to definitely watch this again i think once everything is back to some semblance of normal in the world i'm gonna have to watch this movie with you in the room and maybe i'll get a little bit of that like that vibe off of you because you know how it is sometimes you're just like you can't get into a movie's wavelength at times and that that maybe that's what's happening to me here well you know it's 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 this weird loss of innocence in this film for me you know, you have these creatures which come up from the sea, which want just very basic things. I want to eat, right? They want to eat people. Well, that that very basic. That is basic, but uh, from the very beginning of the movie, they're going beyond that, right? Where they they want more than just to eat people, because well, one of them wants more, the other one doesn't. She's I like, know. you're going the to one... eat him. We're going to go to America and eat more people. Right? Yeah, but they both seem to want to know what it is like to live on land. They both seem and, amused and... amused by humans and kind of into being in the band. Especially like um Silver doesn't really seem to be want to be part of the club that she's dancing at or like is singing at. But when she meets Triton, she really falls in love with that kind of punk scene and really yeah, the inclusion, that. the inclusion of being part of a scene in a sense. Yeah, so they they both have wants. Like the movie starts, they just they come up and they just want to eat these people on the beach and you see them calling them like both of the men who who are in the band seem to be about to walk into the water. And we don't actually see the moment where they change their mind. We see um the scream. We see like there's somebody houses with them. Yeah, the woman, the, the 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 singer in the band see is like has like walked off and turns around and we never see what she sees 
we only stay on her face but obviously as she is seeing the mermaids like singing to the men in her band and she screams and that's it and then we see the aftermath is they have come with them back to the club and they're being like the the band is like showing them off to the club owner like this would be great for our act kind of thing yeah it's almost like the scream broke the spell that they were that, putting the guys under that's that that was my thought as well yeah. but i'm just saying like they they start the movie their only desires are to eat people yes by the time we get to the actual movie they each have more desires that yes and and those desires are just kind of to experience to see what this is all about and, and you know what and speaking on that and elaborating on that like if you listen to the music which is part of why i love this movie the songs talk about you know like um then going into the city and then feeling what the city brings to them the life the craziness all the bad and the good like you hear them grow and take the stuff in and it's you see you you grow with these mermaids as they realize what they want and one wants to become human and the other one doesn't so basically they're walking around they they can walk around in human form i don't yes. I, I could couldn't figure out if they could control when they turn into human or if it had to well, happen I, when they were dried out they because, had to happen when they're dried out because when water would pour on them, they would turn back into mermaid. But there are there are a couple of scenes later where they're walking around outside in the rain and they have raincoats on, but they're also in their bare feet walking through puddles. So it's like, well, how wet do they have to be? Because at other times you see somebody just splashes them with water and they grow tails. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know how much that, that could just be like a movie. I don't want to yeah, say it's a mistake. Suspension that, of disbelief. Yeah, it could Fine. be like creative license but I couldn't figure out how quickly they got out of the water. They could, cause those, they don't just have like little mermaid tails. The tails are like twice. They're the length huge. Of their so there's a scene in the end where, um, so basically let's just go through the movie really quick. Golden. Um, she falls in love with the bass player. She eventually gives up who she wants to be as a mermaid by basically getting her tail cut off and having a human transplant of the lower half of a human yeah there's quick this... aside here that i just want yeah. to talk about because I, I i'm so interested in the metaphysics of this world i thought they were taking the lower half from a dead girl and then no she's to the girl who's had her lower half taken off and she's awake they're both yes. awake during this procedure so it, does she get the tail now is she a mermaid it never it never mentions that they never bring that up again but that's part of the fancifulness of they don't you know it's it's this weird like because she offers her tail to somebody else she's like don't you want my tail don't you want this and people tell her no oh you know and, that's actually like i i don't mean to bring that up as a complaint i'm that i yeah. didn't bring that up to say like oh this movie is stupid because it doesn't i don't i don't mind that it doesn't explore that I, it just made me very curious <laughs> it makes me curious as well too there's a whole other what about the girl on the table next to her that's my i i honestly like when i watch i've watched this movie multiple times and i always wonder about who that person is next to her at the end you know here's this woman giving up her voice who she is a mermaid to get what another woman is basically they're swapping so what about that person who's swapping you know she's giving up who she is as a woman to get 
basically become a mermaid and the mermaid voice, right? Yeah, and we should say the reason that they need, she needs to get rid of her tail and get a human lower half is that they have no genitalia. When no, they, it's when like they a Barbie grow, doll. When they grow legs. They actually say smooth as a Barbie. And it, it's really uncomfortable how the, the older guy in the band is like showing them off to the, the club owner. The girls Yeah, don't... with a whole um, fish slit. Yeah, and he's like yeah. lifting her legs and like making her bend over so that you can see that she has no genitalia. And they both are amused by it because you get the they idea have that no, they are... They have no reference. Well, they you get the idea that the two of them, and they can communicate kind of subsonically. You, you hear like whale songs and it subtitles it and they're communicating without talking. But you get the idea that they are basically above humans and so that they're they're viewing this as like isn't this amusing but they're allowing themselves to be treated this way and but it is gross how they're treated by the humans in it and yeah then he gets them wet and he shows that there's like a little slit in their tail and it's really fucked up and it is and there's kind of an intimation there that that there are sexual favors going on at this club it's so yeah it it, it's 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 you know you know, and that's the other thing, too, is that, like, I don't think of this movie as quite an analogy of a mermaid. I think it's somebody who is seen as innocent in this world, like a mermaid, and how it twists them around to become a fucked up night singer <laughs> in a fucked up nightclub. Um, what happens is, in the end, one of them decides to become a human to give up who she is as a mermaid. So she gets her lower half cut off, and she becomes human while the other one um doesn't the one who decides to become a human for love the person who she gives up her mermaid nest decides not to love her back and he marries a human um she eventually turns into the sea foam and the mermaid who didn't rips out the other person's throat and becomes goes away i know that's how the the story ends little mermaid and i know that she is choosing love over violence by not eating him yeah but there's something about this movie in particular that made me wish she had eaten him (laughs) like yeah it made me so upset that at the end of this she is so i don't want to say subservient but she just acquiesces she just like lays back and is like i'm going to die because i cannot eat this person who utterly betrayed her was horrible yeah, the guy's to her. a fucking asshole like he treats her yeah. horribly and then yeah. he thinks like once she's got legs because like he's like oh we're gonna have sex like and then he gets grossed out because it's really too soon after the surgery and she bleeds on him a little bit and yeah like, gets so like disgusted that he just goes and starts hooking up immediately with this record producer and then they, you know they get married and he fucking invites her to the wedding. <laughs> like, <laughs> he doesn't invite her. He invites everyone that's been in the movie to this point to the wedding. And I, I, I just and, so wish he, that she would eat him, dude. Including the kitchen staff. Yes. Like he invites everybody. Oh, you know, I was so curious about that club because you get a a, a tracking shot as the owner is going through the club in the beginning yeah. of the movie. Yeah, and it, all those like, people who you see at the beginning of the movie with the tracking shot. He goes, he goes from the nightclub to the bar to the to the um, kitchen, 
kitchen, back to the backstage. All those people show up at the end. And it, it doesn't seem like a real place either because there's a point where there's like, there's like an old woman sitting at a counter. She's not crocheting, but it just like looks like that, what, that's what she'd be doing there. Yeah. There's so many people in this scene that just don't seem to fit. But yeah, I, I kind of find it a little bit of a narrative betrayal. Let me guess, I guess not a narrative betrayal because that's how the story had to go. But I, I really wish she had eaten him. It just seemed like... like <laughs> well, he does get eaten, but not by her. No. It, right? No. So... It just seemed like I wanted her to take more of the power back that she had given up through the rest of the movie. Yeah, and you know, I wish she would have too. But at the end, he's dead. Yeah, okay. And, and But then her sister is heartbroken and alone. I, I do wonder, like... How public do you think the knowledge of these mermaids is? Because they are transforming on stage in front of people. And they're doing you know, magazine photo shoots. So when, when I first watched this movie, like literally within the first 10 minutes when the um, promoter comes into the room, he's like, yeah, we could do this. Yeah, just throw water on them. Yeah, it's like he knows about mermaids. That was my biggest problem with the movie first off. So there is a suspension of disbelief. But... In that vein of thought, I don't think that this is a world where they don't know about mermaids. I think they know about mermaids a lot. Yeah. It, sure, it sure seems like it. So do you have anything more that you want to say about it before we move on? Well, um, no. And you can cut this out. But I want to say that I have a very strong opinion about mermaids. I don't like mermaids. And recently becoming a mermaid wrangler in my job i met a mermaid who was actually kind of cool so maybe my feelings about mermaids have changed now, but part of the re my feelings about mermaids is because of this film they fucking creep me out they you, really creep me out you are going to have to explain mermaid wrangler i can't let that go <laughs> i let it slide earlier but this time i really have to press you on it so 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 in my job i won't get into details other than i had to um Work with a mermaid by getting a mermaid into water and out of water multiple times. And um, I was really scared that she would eat me. I know that she's a real human being. I know that <laughs> being a mermaid is fake. I know a lot of things, but fuck, dude, I am terrified of like mermaids. I am so terrified of mermaids. Fucking mermaids scare the shit out of me, dude. <laughs> okay. I'm terrified of mermaids okay so our top five this week is going to be a little bit different because it's not actually going to be related to the movies we watched part of what what brought this topic about i thought i really wanted to talk about something musical with zeke zeke you're a pretty big music person you a lot of stuff you post is music, and we, we share that in common. Uh, our tastes are a little bit different, but similar enough. And I, I just kind of wanted to talk about music with you, and we, we got onto this musical tangent. But I thought for our top five, we would talk over our top five scores and or soundtracks. Uh, and that's such a huge field. It's going to take some cutting down. I know. I know you're going to have to make some hard cuts. I feel you on that. But uh, that's what we're picking today our top five. 
and I will go first. I always say these top fives aren't necessarily our favorites. They're just whatever we want to talk about in the moment. So with that in mind, my first one is The Skin I Live In. It's a Pedro Almodovar movie with Antonio Banderas in it. Uh, the score is Alberto Iglesias. There's a couple of songs on it, but um, it's primarily a score. It's a couple of years old. The movie is not that great. It, it's it's okay. It's got a really crazy premise, but it it falls a little bit short of what it, I feel like it could be. But the score is just amazing. It's so beautiful. When I was driving for Uber and Lyft, I would have the score in there quite a bit, just come up in random. And it was always like very soothing, but also some very urgent violin in it and strings. It's, it's gorgeous. Uh, I definitely suggest checking it out for the music at least. Here's my big question. Are we doing scores or soundtracks? And specifically, what makes a score and what makes a soundtrack? Well, okay. So it's one of those things where you try it, when you try to get down to the fine distinction, it, it gets harder. But I would say in general, a score is instrumental music primarily created for the movie specifically. Okay. And a soundtrack would be songs, vocal <laughs> songs, either written for the movie or inspired by or just picked uh, to complement the scenes. Okay. So I've got two lists. One list is the scores of non vocal instrumentals to go along with a movie. And then I also have a soundtrack, which includes vocal music to go along with a movie. So which would you prefer for me to present? Oh, well, I'm actually doing a, a mix. I created a top five of each. So, so hey, if you create a top five of each, how about we do scores first and then we do soundtracks? Okay, we'll do that. Let's okay. do that. So one of my top five scores is... And this has a weird story, but one of my top scores is the score to Inception. Very recognizable, but what was really cool, which really made me fall in love with the score is they had an app years ago where it would take the surrounding uh, music and it would take the surrounding environment that you were in and change. It was an app that would change music to fit the score to what you were in so Wait. if it was loud it would pick certain songs from the score if it was quiet it pick certain songs from the score if you were active it pick certain songs from the score and it was this very interactive it was a very interactive score which i fell in love with the movie for i haven't actually listened to the soundtrack or the score on its own i just remember it from the movie and liking it a lot at the time but also thinking in a way it kind of ruined Hans Zimmer for a little while like he got, <laughs> he got a little bit too into those blom sounds blom, blom, blom. the EDP and, off slow down type thing and they just took over trailers and other movies like action movies started taking that without having the reason or intention that Hans Zimmer had for doing that in Inception they just started doing that with other Hollywood movies they very took it and they ran with it. But what I loved about this movie was the app that they made because you would walk down the street 
and it'd be quiet. And then all of a sudden, the score that you were listening to in this app would change, fit your mood. And the whole point of the app was to create a soundtrack, not necessarily of the movie, but of how you would experience life. Does that make sense? That's very interesting. I, I never, I, I, I never knew yeah, about it's, that. Yeah, it was a great app. I still actually have it on my phone. It's really, it's, it's busted right now. But like, that's how I fell in love with the music of the movie was because like I would walk down a street and it'd be quiet and you'd get certain aspects of the soundtrack, the quiet aspects. And then you get to an intersection, you hear cars going by and it would change in an instant. And it was very dynamic. It was fluid and it made you feel what you would feel watching the movie. <laughs> that sounds a little dangerous as well. Yeah, it was, it was incredible, but it was very, um, you're right, very dangerous. My next one, super, super obvious choice. To anybody that knows me, I'm going to go with Twin Peaks, Angelo Badalamenti, and I'm including in that all of the soundtracks. Twin Peaks, season one, two, The Return. Oh. I am also including the Fire Twin Peaks... What's that? Firewalk with me. Firewalk with me. But I am also including the Twin Peaks archive, which was available for a while on davidlynch.com. He he used to use his website to sell like musical oddities that he had made or, or music over the years that just hadn't been collected on anything. And plus albums. There was the Twin Peaks archive. It was like $100. It's hours of music that hasn't been put on any soundtracks, including demos. And um, <laughs> to be honest, a lot of it is like five to 10 variations of the same theme for a little while, like a minute and a half theme that they just have a bunch of different variations on. It's all good. Like it is great. That archive, the Twin Peaks soundtrack, everything about it, it immediately just like kind of puts me in my happy place. I love you, but you're an asshole because that's my number one. <laughs> Oh, well, I am not ranking, but yeah, well, I am ranking. So that was like my number one score. I'm like, oh, we're going to build up to this, but it's kind why of nice you, because why what? would you think that I wouldn't talk about Twin Peaks? I know you, I, I, I know this, like we as friends understand like Angela Bonalmente, brilliant, incredible, specifically, I didn't decide to go with the TV show or all the supplements or the return or anything. I just went straight with Firewalk with me, number one for me. Well, if so. I had to pick only one, I yeah. would pick Firewalk with me. That soundtrack so is good. amazing. But I don't have to pick just one, and so I don't <laughs> have to cut any of it out. I love it all. It is, you know yeah, you're right. You're right. You're you know right. what? Fuck people who make fun of that James song, Just You. I love just, just you. It's so good. I, it is such a joke and I get it. He is kind of. But that's what makes of, it so good. He is an easily mocked character. And that scene, I, I mean, I get it. I get why people are like, oh, this is cheesy, but it, James, I love that minor key. I love the guitar. James the, is the coolest. The, the very, very simplistic lyrics repetitive lyrics that david lynch likes i like his style like people like make fun of that all the time but you're like you know david lynch wrote that right <laughs> like yeah it's, it, it was for a purpose and it's like 
that simplicity is just so honest. It's so James. I and James is the coolest, dude. James has always been cool. James has always been cool. I've always liked it, and I am sick of pretending that it's not good. Don't don't pretend. It is a brilliant song. The whole the whole soundtrack, the whole score, so good, so good. That said, season two has maybe my favorite piece of music in Twin Peaks, and that is um, Harold's theme. It, oh, it, yes. It's very dark. It's very synth heavy. It's a great piece of music. And so when season two soundtrack finally came out, it came out like decades after the show and season one soundtrack. A long time after. Yes. It, that was probably my like my number one. Like we finally get this piece of music on Alan on album. Is that your? We're just gonna count that as yours as well, Twin, uh, Twin Peaks, or do you want? Yeah, to we'll count that as number. That was actually my number one. Okay, so so going so, to my number four, quote oh, unquote, it's, it's not back to me. Well, so so you did. I did Twin Skin I Live In and Twin Peaks, and then you did Twin I did Peaks. Inception and Twin Peaks. So we'll put it back to you. Put it back to you. Okay, my next one. I had to pick something by Danny Elfman and there are a lot, a lot of contenders, but I, I'm going to have to go with Edward Scissorhands because Ooh. that theme, he said it himself in the liner notes to his, uh, uh, his collection music for a darkened theater. He talks about how he could have played variations of the Edward Scissorhands theme forever because he just had so much fun playing it. And that's how I feel about listening to it. Listening to that soundtrack, I could listen to him riff on that main theme for hours i could go with many others i i think his music for nightbreed is amazing i think his theme for planet of the apes is one of the best themes he's ever done for one of the worst movies he's ever done but yeah. it, <laughs> like i love that theme but now edward scissorhands just like that score it, it's beautiful so i apologize it has to come out eventually out of one of us I love John Williams' score for The Phantom Menace. You know what? Yeah. I will not fight you on that. His, I mean, there's a reason. I love The Duel of Fates. Everything about, like, that movie is so, such a good movie. Other than the horrible, um, <laughs> other than the horrible vocal dub of the, um, oh, the um, bad trade federation guys. Well, if you're talking about horrible vocal dub of the racist character aliens, you certainly have a lot to pick from. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot in that movie, but that score is so good. Like, it is the best thing about, like, that movie sets so many bars for um, visual effects, just sound effects, but just the score is so like I can listen to that score and just imagine all the movie in my mind. And it's a perfect movie. John Williams pretty much did come out of that unscathed. His music is pretty flawless. And Duel of the Fates yeah. is probably one of the most uh, well-remembered parts of that movie. Oh, so good. Like I listen to not get goosebumps, you know, even doing the like I start to get goosebumps. Uh, the next one is actually for me, I mean, this is kind of a, a this is kind of an emotional, nostalgic choice. 1992, Last of the Mohicans by Randy Edelman and Trevor Jones. Nice. 
Nice pick. In, that movie came out in 92. I was 14, so I was a freshman in high school. And that that movie was like, I don't want to say it was an obsession for me, but it was such a big part of that year of my life. I watched that movie several times. I remember on spring break, during the winter, my grandparents used to motor home around America, <laughs> around the <laughs> southern states. And spring break, I went down with them to Florida and uh, like ended in Georgia. And I took some cassettes with me on the flight and we listened to them while driving around. One of them was the soundtrack for Last of the Mohicans. I love it. I get chills. Like you get goosebumps. I get those for Promontory, which is like the, the probably the most recognizable song off of the soundtrack. There's a couple of variations of it through the soundtrack itself. But man, I... I love it. I listen to it. It really like takes me back, but it's also still just like really great music. That it's a really good soundtrack. So my next pick is the soundtrack to the TV show, not movie, TV show of Watchmen. Oh, good with, choice. Uh, Trent Reznor and uh, Atticus Ross. So good. I can wa- listen to the soundtrack normally, but listening to it knowing the visuals the story everything behind it it just means so much more it's 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 more recent than what we've been talking about but it is like the the life on mars cover uh, is so insanely good and it, it just reminds me of all the themes and ideas and all the thoughts and emotions i experience watching the show i can't separate that from the score so when i hear the score i feel all those things welling back up again and it's a very intense tv series and it's probably um yeah it's it's up there it's it's one of my favorite scores ever agreed that that that's a really good one i don't have any trent reznor advocates ross stuff but all of their scores are great and that Watchmen was so good. Anybody that has bad memories of the Zack Snyder Watchmen and maybe is avoiding the HBO show because of it, give the HBO show a chance. It is so good. Like, screw what Alan Moore says about adaptations. The Watchmen HBO show is perfect. Watchmen. It It is. I, I, I was trying to explain this to a friend the other day. It is, in my idea, the the ultimate post covid lockdown wearing masks everything we're going through right now it's 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 the first beautiful incredible um piece of art that's come about from that but it didn't happen this year it happened like a year ago it was so strange how prophetic it was it's a great show it's it it really expands on the comic book world it never tries to adapt anything from the comic, which is a, a good strength. It just it doesn't change the comic book world. It just it, expands on it. It, it just no, imagines no, it that just world. It imagines that world 30 plus years later. And it, it's, I thought it was really, it's, really it's great. It does such a good job of it. So my, my final of the scores, I think it's a better score than a movie, even though I kind of liked the movie at the time. Certainly though, the director is problematic. It's the ninth gate 
Ooh. Soundtrack by, I'm going to mangle it, I'm sorry, Wojciech Kilar. The movie's okay, stars Johnny Depp, but man, that music is great. One of the tragedies of this movie is that when it was released, the advertising didn't feature any of the music. Like, obviously, trailers use music from other places. They often use music that's not part of the movie, but the trailer for The Ninth Gate used a lot of, like, guitar-heavy rock and that's not that type of movie at all. This is a very kind of like Eastern European sounding, a lot of strings. Um, it, it's kind of jaunty and spooky as well. Uh, it's really a great soundtrack or a great score. There might be points off because the score for The Ninth Gate sounds very similar to Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was also done by Wojciech Kilar. He kind of like... It quotes himself a little bit or he's playing in the same mode that he was with Dracula. Like if you like the Dracula, the soundtrack that that's not a problem. Uh, and it, it's not, he's not actually just like copying himself. It just, it does sound similar. You listen to him back to back and you're like, like, Oh, yep. That's the same person. This could actually just be side a and side B of one album. Okay. So this is cheating a bit, but the last score that I want to give acknowledgement to is score for Friday Night Lights by Explosions in the Sky. Wait, why is that Why is that cheating? I haven't seen Friday Night Lights. Well, the, the, well it's not really cheating, but a lot of the score for Friday Night Lights was uh, from the Explosions in the Sky album um, The Earth is on a Cold Dead Place. Like, um, So it takes a lot of those songs and translates it into a movie and a music score. But that album is, it's one of my favorite albums of all time. And it's beautiful. It reminds me of a spring day where you open up the windows and let the cold air come rushing in. And that feeling of just breathing it in, it just reminds me of that album. This is going to be a supersized top five. We're actually doing top tens now because we, we've decided we'll go ahead and do top five soundtracks. We've been going a little bit now, so maybe we, we should just kind of rush through this a little bit. Once again, I'll start us off. Uh, my top five soundtracks, just, I'm a big soundtrack guy. I just had to pick some, like, I, I, I didn't think too much about it. So in no particular order, The Guest from 2014. Whoa. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen the movie? I've seen the movie, yes. It, it's got a very... 80s score it's got like the sisters of mercy and clan of zymox are on there love and rockets has a really awesome they're haunted when yeah i remember right? seeing the hearing the love and rockets it's great it fits the movie perfectly it's also like just an album i listen to a lot on its own what's your what's your first pick um my first pick is uh eddie and the cruisers oh it's like a weird bruce springsteen album that was never released mixed in with a lot of other things but uh yeah it's it's kind of like a uh, it reminds me of born to run by a uh, Bree springsteen kind of look through the the eyes of the 80s and it has michael pear in the movie it has tom berenger right and it has uh the squirrely guy from the matrix joe Pel joe pantoliano yep that's it he's in that movie too yeah, it's I, I love that movie when I was a kid. It's what caused me to fall in love. Like I liked the um, Eddie and Cruz just before I liked Born to Run. So I kind of blame 
and cruises for getting in the Bruce Willis. So my next up is Survive Style 5 Plus. It's a Japanese film from the early 2000s. Actually, or it's a movie I am planning on doing an episode with, me and my friend. I know who I'm going to be recording the episode with. I just, we're having a lot of trouble figuring out what movie to pair it with because it is such a singular movie. And the music <laughs> in it is really great. Like there's, there's a, it, it spans a lot of, a lot of genres. It's a lot of Japanese bands, of course. It it goes from punk to like synth pop to just like there's a there's a song near the end that very much reminds me of um, in instrumentation wise, at least it reminds me of Velvet Underground. It, but the the soundtrack is all over the place, just like the movie in a very good way. I enjoy it quite a bit. Okay, so my next one, I know this is on your list. It's the Crow soundtrack. Well, it was on my list. No. Oh! It, no, we're, we're, <laughs> we'll count this as yours and mine. Uh, the Crow is definitely on my list. You know what? This is one of the few movies that I loved the soundtrack to before I actually saw the movie. And I don't know about you, but it felt like the soundtrack came out like a year before the movie actually did. It felt like, like I was listening to the soundtrack way longer before the movie itself. You, you, you've got me curious now. I am going to look up and see when the soundtrack for The Crow came out. So the movie came out. I remember um, when I saw the movie, I remember um, OJ driving down the freeway. <laughs> Do you remember the OJ? Yeah, of course everyone remembers OJ. Yeah. But like, I remember seeing that and going, oh, this is cool. And then leaving the house to go watch the crow because i'd much rather watch a crow than watch oj so it must have been late 95 that the movie at least in my area was released the movie release was released in may 1994 oh, shit. and the soundtrack was released in march so it was released a month and a half two months early okay makes sense I remember hearing the soundtrack before the movie. The Crow was such a formative experience for me in 1994. Oh man, it defined like, I it defined so much of my personal style. And by the time the soundtrack came out, I was actually a fan already of The Cure and Violent Femmes and Nine Inch Nails and uh, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult, For Love Not Lisa, Jesus and Mary Chain. Such I don't, a good I don't, soundtrack. I don't, I don't, I don't really like that Rollins band cover of Ghost Rider, but it, <laughs> it, it, it's fine. It's fine. The soundtrack and that movie were so formative. I, I saw that movie like five times in the theater and played that soundtrack to death. I know. Like, I actually played the soundtrack so that my CD wore out. I was about to say, if that were possible, I would have done it, but I guess yeah. not. No, I, well, I mean, I'd let people borrow the soundtracks and get scratched up. And blah, oh, yeah, blah, yeah. But, like, I played it a lot. I must have played it consistently for about probably, like, two, three years. Yeah, I, I still listen to it regularly. But, of course, now everything I have is on an external hard drive. So the C CD stays safely inside its case unless I, <laughs> I unless my hard drive gets deleted again. I need, I need to get that CD again. Just, I need to get it on record. So, since I'm picking the crow as well, you go ahead, give me your number four. Uh, my number four, hang my head in shame a little bit, but uh, it's a single soundtrack. Oh, okay. Another 
like iconic 1990s soundtrack. So good, dude. Like the Alice in Chains song is Wood is such a good song. And then you have who else is on that soundtrack? Well, I'm assuming Pearl Jam would be on there, right? Well, I mean, we could literally like pull like 90s brunch bands out of our hair. Uh, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Paul Westerberg. Love and Love Bone, Soundgarden, another Pearl Jam song, Mud Honey, Jimi Hendrix. That's basically uh, the 1992 lineup of Lollapalooza. As small as it was, that was a very defining soundtrack for my youth. It's basically grunge 101. Yeah, it, it didn't hold quite the same place for me, but yeah, that music was everywhere. I remember seeing and hearing that soundtrack a lot. It's a really good Alice in Chains song, too. So- and Pearl Jam song. And Paul Westerberg's song. It's, song. <laughs> it's so, a really good soundtrack, basically. My number four, uh, I've talked about it on this show before, so I can kind of gloss through this, is the soundtrack for Six String Samurai. Oh, yes. The Red Elvises. Which is 50% score and 50% songs from the band Red Elvises, taken mostly from their Grooving to the Moscow Beat and Surfing in Siberia album. Really great surf rock. There's a Russian band. God damn, they're so good. It's a they're a really good band. And that song is basically you buy their two albums, and both of those albums are great on their own, but they really just like cherry picked the best stuff from those two albums. So that if you get the six string samurai soundtrack, you're getting like the best possible greatest hits you could from this band. My next soundtrack is the Popeye soundtrack. I love, like, love love that soundtrack like um she he needs me he needs me he needs me and um i mean i mean i mean you know what i mean he's me he's me i guess damn mean we could have done a we could have done another list of like musical soundtracks like yeah 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 but but this this that's why that's why part of me asks like is it musicals that you know i this this the songs for popeye were actually made for the film and it has um van dyke parks who uh did um part of smile with brian wilson and pet sounds and all that stuff and he and um harry nielsen did the music it is such a good soundtrack it is so really good soundtrack and Shelly Duvall sing all the olive oil parts, and she does a really good olive oil. And it, is, it makes me so happy to hear that soundtrack. My final pick, my final pick for favorite soundtrack is going to be Return of the Living Dead. Whoa. The good. best, the best non-Romero zombie movie. It is for my money, the funniest, the scariest. That movie scares me. And it has the best soundtrack. It's a really good soundtrack. There's Rocky Erickson. There's 45 Grave with Party Time, which is just one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, you've got The Cramps on there. It's so good. It's this great like punk. It's such a good collection of songs. And and my... Uh, my final pick of the day. So what do you got? What's your, your last? All right. So I'm going kind of, well, it's, it's kind of, you know, mainstream, but my favorite 
movie soundtrack of all time is Stand By Me. You know, I remember these beautiful memories of listening to the soundtrack as a kid, driving around with my parents. Just, it's, it's like part of me, when I listen to it, I hear the soundtrack. And part of me, when I hear it, I remember all the times that we had together, like all the vacations, exploring, and basically what the movie was about was just about reaching out and, you know, living a life. And it, um, you know, there's a lot of cool soundtracks out there, but it's, it's my favorite. It's, it's, it's a damn good soundtrack, too. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's kind of a lot of, um, like, 50s early rock or even, in some cases, pre-rock and roll, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, hold, hold, hold on a second here. I actually have it as a record. Um, it has, like, um, Buddy Holly. It has um, Benny Lee. It, I mean, it's a very... Um, you know, it's weird because I can't think of the music of the soundtrack separate from the visuals of the movie, even though they were completely different. You know, it's like the music, of course, came first, but it's such a beautiful combination of the music and the visuals that they presented in the, movie, the film that um, it's my favorite soundtrack. Yeah, it certainly is evocative of what they were trying to portray in that movie just the time and the place it really puts you into that, that it movie. does it does it's 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 a it's a beautiful snapshot of life and i don't think we really get that much many anymore with soundtracks yeah i was talking on a previous or an earlier show about how we don't really get soundtracks as cultural artifacts of our own anymore yeah yeah i mean there's right. a reason most of ours are from the 90s or earlier right yeah exactly you know probably the most popular soundtrack that i can think of right now is probably um suicide squad a couple of years ago you know maybe they're still getting a lot of music like music licensed for film but they're not it just doesn't seem that they're they're given the same weight that they used to exactly it's the film first versus the soundtrack Whereas there was a time, like you mentioned singles, and we mentioned The Crow, where the soundtrack was put on a level as high of the film, if not higher. So that is going to do it for our discussion today. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Zeke, is there anything that you wanted to say? Anything you want to plug or talk about before we go? I probably should plug my social media, but I have no social media. Yeah, I... Before I had this show, I never mentioned my social media on my friends, like my friends podcast. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like, yeah. well, what are you going to follow me for? <laughs> Thank you to everybody listening this week. Thank you for making it to the end. I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week. If you want to, you can follow us along on Twitter and Instagram. That's at Two Headed Pod. I post a lot of stuff throughout the week. Try to make it fun. If you still have Facebook, you can find us. There's a Facebook page. It's easy to Google or search. Just look up Incredible Two-Headed Podcast on Facebook. As always, we have that discount code with Metallic Dice Games. And as I mentioned, my wife has created these enamel pins for them that are currently on sale. They're really cool. Also, they have a lot of dice and dice-related merchandise. Check them out. Metallic Dice Games. Enter the code TWOHEADS, T-W-O-H-E-A-D-S and that'll get you 10% off of your final order. 
And that is going to do it for us. Uh, if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week.